and welcome to yet another episode of Cowgirls and Indians. I am Christina Cook, the cowgirl. I'm Keith Novels, the Indian. <laughs> so I mean, we have so much fun with this. Thank you for joining us. Well, let's let's start. Let's let me back up for just a second back to the 30,000 foot level, because one of the things that I want to emphasize what we're trying to do with this podcast, Keith, is is make sure that people understand we're trying to give them a framework for basically understanding the progressive mind and understanding the opposite of it, what liberty is. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's in contrast, it's, it's pretty easy to pick out what's what. <laughs> it is. <laughs> but I, I mean, I've been struggling and I, I see in social media and I see, you know, just in conversations with people and stuff that people have a lot of have a lot of difficulty really understanding kind of philosophically what underlies all of this. It, it just feels like a bunch of random beliefs and thoughts that these people on the left have that, you know, they, they dye their hair purple and then they ignore reality. You know, I mean, that's just kind of as far as it goes. And it, I think, and you and I think, I think agree on this. It, it's, it's a lot deeper than that. Oh yeah. That there is a cohesive philosophy that underlies all of this. Whether or not the proponents of that philosophy understand that is another matter. I would guess very few of your rank and file people who identify as progressive understand the philosophy. Right. This is not mean or pejorative. It's just an observation. Rank and file progressives are among the least intellectually curious people on earth. I think that's just... Just a given. I think uh, people who understand this are very intent on moving this. And we can talk about kind of the history of how that got there. Well, and I think to we where should. we are. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, most rank and file progressives don't understand. They certainly aren't are not delving into the philosophical basis of progressivism or the philosophical basis of, of liberty. Right. Um, right. So well, I don't know that most conservatives on, on our side of the aisle would be able to articulate it cleanly. I, you know, I, I think most conservatives can articulate liberty, the basic sense of it pretty well. OK. I mean, it's protecting rights and property. Right. As the role of government. Right. And really nothing else. Right. And so and this as, as we mentioned in our last episode, there can be considerable debate about what constitutes protecting rights and property. Sure. And, and that's perfectly fine. We, we should have those debates, but those debates should be around protecting rights and property. Those debates should not be around remaking society in the view of what some experts think it should be. And that is the, the gist of what progressivism is. That's OK. So so let's dig into that a little bit, because that's that's kind of what I wanted to explore on the podcast today is what what is that remaking of society? What does that look like and, and why? Well, why is that their goal? Why is that something that they're pursuing? So I um, start out my adult life a long time ago in art school. Okay. And one of the things I learned in art school, the few jobs I had working as a graphic artist, is the importance of negative space. Okay. And negative space, the idea there is where you don't put something is communicates just as much information as where you do put something. <laughs> okay. I'll this buy is that. important. Yeah. And so we can look at what progressives aren't doing. What they're not doing. What they're not doing. Okay. They give us a pretty good idea of why they're doing things they are doing. Okay. So if you look at progressivism and you look at these various programs they advocate for, and they think, well, we need to have equity in society, not equality, equity. I'm right? going to ask you in a minute what the difference is between those two, but, <laughs> yeah. but go ahead. And they believe, well, we should feed the poor and everybody should have a basic level of income. Okay. And uh, everybody should have housing and 
so on and so forth. There's a right to health care, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. In the classical liberty view, you have the right to pursue those things and nobody should have the right to prohibit you from pursuing or obtaining those things. Very well stated. Yeah. That's, that's liberty. Okay. In the progressive model, there should be experts defining who gets what, and it should all come from uh, government power. Right. Central so, planning. Yeah, central planning of, of all this. Right. And, and that's, that's a fundamental difference here. So what you have... Negative space. So Negative space. What you have is a situation where progressives say, we should feed everyone who's malnourished. I agree. I just don't think you should feed them as a result of government programs. <laughs> all right. Okay. This is the difference. However, it's not that simple because there's nothing stopping progressives today from voluntarily engaging in all the programs they wish to engage in. Right. There's nothing stopping progressives from pooling their money and buying apartments and or motels for the homeless. Doing there's it nothing government. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's nothing stopping them right now today from pooling their money and feeding the, the malnourished. There's nothing stopping them from pulling their money and providing health care. There's nothing stopping them from buying hospitals and employing doctors and nurses and therapists and all those people. Nothing at all is stopping them. But they don't do that. Right. Right. That's not the <laughs> tactic they take. And if you point that out, they say, well, we don't have money. But <laughs> what they think is that they don't have my money yeah. <laughs> is really the answer there. But they have plenty of money to do these things if they wish. We, we just recently finished a, an election and a campaign, and there was about $9 billion, with a B, billion dollars spent on that campaign. That could have gone pretty far. Yeah, it could have gone pretty far. So it's a reasonable assumption. Two and a third and half of that money was spent by progressives. Mm -hmm. So let's assume that's 3 to $5 billion they spent on gaining power, not on feeding the malnourished. I would think that the percentage that, of that money that came from Progressives is much higher than 50%. Well, it, I, I really would think It could that. be. I'm just being conservative here. Well, and I but, understand that, but and here's my reasoning is because they are trying to pursue their goals solely through government. I mean, yes. traditionally, you look, you look at all the statistical analyses of like tax returns and stuff, and people who identify as progressives give to charity far, far less yes. than, than people on the right yes. and who self-identify you know, as Republicans or as conservatives. And the reason for that can be explained by what you were just saying. They're not trying to pursue these things no. on, a, on a private basis. They want to make sure that the government makes you participate. Yes. Makes everybody participate. Yes. Why would that be? Well, I can tell you why that would be. <laughs> I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so here's, here's the thing. All these programs, if they really cared about feeding the malnourished, uh, they would be spending those billion dollars on doing that. Mm -hmm. If they really cared about housing the homeless, they would be spending those billions of dollars on doing that. Right. If they really cared that everybody had a right to health care, they would be spending those billions. But they're not. Exactly. And, and they don't even entertain the possibility of doing so. Right. Right. Because those are really, uh, to be crass, marketing gimmicks to attract people to progressivism who will have no intellectual curiosity about what progressivism actually is. Because the, the heart here... Feels good. Yeah, the heart of progressivism here is really creating this new man. And we talked last, last episode about 19th century German philosophy. Yeah. And that's really where this roots to. And so all these ideas that this 19th century German philosophy spawned, progressivism, Nazism, fascism, communism, Marxism, etc., they're all focused on one thing, creating the new man. So philosophically, what they believe 
is that the school of classical thought has produced nothing but chaos. And, and the school of classical thought, we can the, go back. The entire Western canon that underlies well, all of our culture. Yes, yeah. yes. Okay. If you go back, you go Rome, or Greece, Rome, Christianity, Renaissance, Reformation, Enlightenment, and ultimately the United States Constitution. Mm-hmm. Okay, you have this, this string of thought that is not linear. But over time, it's progressing, and it's progressing ever more toward individual rights and that each human being, by virtue of their existence, is created equally, and that is they have the same equal rights when they're created. The right to think as they wish, to say as they wish, to do as they wish, as long as they don't violate other people's rights and property in doing so, right? I mean, we tried to codify this in a practical way in the Constitution. Right. That was the intent of the Constitution. So the progressive thought, the school of thought that came out of this, this 19th century German philosophy is that just produced chaos. And so, and they have a point because while this whole school of classical thought is in pursuit of truth, we never really arrive at definitive truth or rarely do we do. And it's, it's more like we're grappling with truth. Right. And more specifically, even when we believe we have found the truth, we're grappling with how to implement the truth. In our lives. Right. Right. And it's, so this is age old, that's the age old struggle from Aristotle on. Well, unless you're a progressive. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that, that is the age old struggle, right? Well, what is truth? How do I implement truth in my life? I, I mean, this is it. And we have this school of thought, but the school of thought moved us from a world of barbarianism and slavery and women as chattel property. Mm-hmm. It moved us all the way to the point of believing everyone is created equal. Right. Right. I mean, that's just tremendous. It's it, miraculous. It's really what it is. Exactly. Exactly. And, and the progressive view philosophically, most progressives don't know this, probably don't care about this. But the philosophical view is that was all wrong and evil, that it produced nothing but chaos. Freedom produces chaos and we can't have that. Right. Okay. And so progressivism, this 19th century German school thought, progressivism, like I said, fascism, Nazism, communism, Marxism, they all embrace this idea that we have to end the chaos. And the way we end the chaos is we use government force to create what they all refer to as the new man. Okay. And the whole idea of the new man is this, that man's nature is a result of environment and conditions. And so if we change by force the environment and conditions, right. we will create a new man who is not selfish, doesn't have avarice, doesn't have greed, doesn't have lust, doesn't have any of these things, not power hungry, right? We'll create a, a perfect world where everybody is equal and nobody thinks ill of anyone else and it'll all be wonderful. I mean, that's the basic underlying philosophy here. So let me make sure that I understand this then. So, so the, the progressive impulse is to, is, well, the progressive belief is that man can be any, basically anything that he wants, that, that we, we can choose to that be That man is a result of his environment. Well, but we can choose to be different. That we can change the environment by force and create a better man. Exactly. That's exactly. the real idea. And so I guess the, the contrast to that, the conservative way of looking at things is that we are fallen creatures. If you want to take that from a religious perspective or, or just, you know, we have Flawed. human nature yes. that, that just creates, you know, certain problems like avarice and, and those yes. kinds of things. And then... That for, to the conservative, the way to control that is through societal trade-offs rather than just trying to create this perfect society, we create incentives to act a certain way or more. Yes, exactly. Okay. Exactly. 
And, and so a major part of this for all of these things, progressivism, fascism, Nazism, communism, Marxism, is a rejection of objective truth, re- objective reality. Okay. Truth becomes whatever serves the purpose of creating this new man. Ah, that's what truth is defined as. Okay. Has nothing to do with what's actually true or real. And this is why in all these systems, progressivism, we, we've all seen it just over the last 10 years. How many things? Well, this is good. We believe in this. And then next day, no, that's evil. We believe in that. Right? We've, we've all seen that countless times. Which is why the, the charge of hypocrisy never sticks with these people. Well, because they, they don't believe in truth in the sense of classical thinking and definition of truth. Right. Truth is whatever leads you to create the new man the quickest. Right. That is truth. And that has been true, like I said, all these ideologies and, and all these things. Progressivism, fascism, Nazism, communism, Marxism are just different strategies to attain the same goal. Right. That's important to understand. Is to create that new man. Create this utopian. That's right. Create this new man. And so, yeah, truth becomes nothing more than, or what is truth becomes nothing more than whatever is viewed or deemed as required at that moment. To help right. create the new man. It's a very Machiavellian way to approach all this. I, I think, I, I don't think it's Machiavellian. I think he would have been repulsed by this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I really do. Sure. Right? <laughs> uh, it's embracing falsehoods knowingly. Mm-hmm. Now, perhaps your rank of how progressives don't understand their falsehoods, but certainly the people creating this understand their falsehoods. Right. I mean, great example, uh, the 1619 Project. Published by the New York Times, taught in colleges, taught in public schools in some places. Mm-hmm. 1619 Project is the history where flat earthers are to science. It has nothing to do with reality, has nothing to do with educating people, has everything to do with leading people to believe things that are not so in order to create what they think needs to be created for this new man. Right. Right. I mean, we've done this, not we. As in you and I, right? But we, as in the human race, in various places around the globe for the last hundred years, and it has always failed, and not just failed; it's failed spectacularly. And we, I think, we we spoke last time. The more progressivism we adopt in this country, the more we move that direction, right? The higher the rate of mental illness, the higher the suicide rates, higher. The addiction rates, the higher the violence rates, the higher the criminal rates go. Right. This is but there's no objective evidence here to indicate this leads to anything like a new man. And it has never anywhere else led to anything like a new man. Right. And so what you end up with are people who inevitably decide to speed the process along by killing people who are. Sticks in the mud. And it, well, it won't go along with it, right? And, and yeah. this has been part and parcel for a long time. In 1849, Ingalls published an article called The Hungarian Struggle. And uh, he explicitly referred to race and genocide as being necessary components of this, of, of creating the new man. Right. Hitler cited that very article as justification for national socialism and their racial policies <laughs> by Ingalls. Ingalls called people, uh, some people, some groups of people, racial trash and fit only for the dung heap of history. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, this is not new. Right. Right. So if you look since the Obama administration, the lifespan expectancy, your life expectancy in the United States has been declining. Now, this is 2022. We have all this medicine. We have more free health care from the government than we've ever had. Right. We have more free benefits from the government than we've ever had. We have more central planning than we've ever had. We have. There's your problem right there. (laughs) And yet people are not living as long as they did 20 years ago. Right. I I mean, people should really stop and think about why that is. And of course, the progressives will say, well, it's capitalism and it's climate change, climate change. And we're not allowing Yeah, They will say it's anything other than the fact that these ideas are not what cause human beings to thrive. And that's really it, because the whole 5,000 years of classical thought we've talked about is really oriented around what really causes people to thrive, to be fulfilled, to be successful, to be happy, to want to live their lives every day. That's the whole purpose of philosophy, really, is to, is to struggle with that question and try to answer it. Yes, yes. And, and these German philosophers in the 19th century answered that question by saying, it is government regimen. Yeah. It is government forcing everyone to believe the same, to act the same, to think the same. We will make you thrive. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. This is this is the key. Yeah. And and we have now, at least since October of 1917, endless examples of abject failure of that idea. Right. And progressives will inevitably say, well, they did it wrong. Right. That's the that's the answer. Very that's true. the stock answer. They did it wrong. We know how to do it right. Well, how are you doing it differently? Do you even know what they did? Well, no, right. they, they really don't. Right. Right. They, they, they don't study history because they don't believe in history. They don't believe that they can gain any intelligence from history. Well, they're told that. But really, they don't want them studying history because if they studied history, they find out how disastrous these ideas have always been. Absolutely. Empirically, provably. Exactly. Exactly. The, uh, I mean, one of my, my, you know, favorite examples here, right, are the claim that Nazism is right wing. <laughs> right? I always I mean, love that one. Yeah. I mean, Jonah Goldberg, no matter what you think about him, Jonah Goldberg blew that one out of the water. <laughs> he did a really good yeah, job. Yeah, I mean, things Hitler said. Hitler said, our socialism is national. We demand the fulfillment of the just demands of the productive classes by the state on the basis of race solidarity. To us, state and race are one. Yeah, that sounds uh, right. Yeah, Hitler <laughs> said, I've put into practice what these peddlers and pin pushers have timidly begun. The whole of national socialism was based on Marx. Without race, national socialism would really do nothing more than compete with Marxism on its own ground. He said, Hitler said his goal was to convert the German Volk to socialism without simply killing off the old individualist, to find and travel the road from individualism to socialism without revolution. Hitler said that Lenin had averaged downwards and Hitler wanted to average upwards. And he wanted to do that by killing off anything he felt like was waiting down the race, right? No different than Lenin and Stalin. Exactly. Right? Pol Pot or, Pol Pot or yeah. Mao or yep. Castro or Noriega or Maduro. I mean, Mussolini. Any of these people. Yeah. It's all the same story. It's all the same philosophy. It's just different strategies to attain that goal of the new man. And I, I think that's, that, that brings up a really important point that I want to make sure is very, very clear, is that in order to achieve this utopian society with this, you know, populated by these new men, the individual doesn't matter. 
to no, them. No, absolutely it, does not matter. No, no, no. It's like a, Stalin is reputed to have said, one death is a tragedy, a million is a statistic. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, it, it seems to me, and we can see that that pattern being repeated and played out in our own country right now. That in, in the demonization of people who disagree with the quote unquote prevailing narrative, who who you know dare to question COVID policies or dare to question you know um, do you really need to everybody from the age of six months up to get this vaccine that's not been tested and that seems to be killing people? And the second you question that, then you are now expendable. Yeah, um, you have become expendable. The the second that you question, okay, are our elections really fair and secure? You become expendable once you betray that you're actually thinking for yourself. Once you show your cards to the world that you're actually thinking for yourself, you're actually questioning what the government is telling you and presuming to actually speak that out loud, then they, they put you on the expendables list. You're done. Well, so the short answer is yes. That's what they try to do. Okay. Right. I, I think uh, so progressives destroy people because they are incapable of destroying ideas. I mean, that's, that's really, really it. profound. No, but that's really it. They destroy people. Because they can't destroy the ideas. Right. And yeah, you, you destroy the people, you cow the people, you threaten the people, you silence the people, silence the people yeah. because you can't destroy their ideas. Right. And it's really ideas that progressives fear in the depths of their soul. Wow. Because they, they really can't defend their own ideas and they really can't counter the idea that People should be free to decide for themselves. Right. Right. People should be free to think, free to speak, free to act. And that, that runs counter to, to the German philosophy. It runs counter to all the strategies and ideologies to implement it. And it absolutely is the opposite of what they hope the end goal to be. So let me play devil's advocate for a second, because um, certainly one of their dearly held positions, policy positions, seems to celebrate the freedom of the individual, the right to get an abortion. Yeah. So help me help me square that. That I mean, that's what their their argument well, is that you know women should be free to make this decision. I, mean, I know what my argument is against that, but right. um, help help me square that in in their minds. Well, so it's interesting because we we've been down so many of these paths before. Right. Soviet Union was very easy to get an abortion. Okay. Okay. Nazi Germany required abortions of certain undesirable, what they view to be undesirable people. China requires abortions right. of what they consider to be undesirable people. Right. If we look at Margaret Sanger, who founded what is now Planned Parenthood, right. and that she addressed Ku Klux Klan meetings, that she thoroughly embraced eugenics. Right. You look at the fact that the abortion, well, so first of all, the abortion industry is very lucrative and a significant portion of that many rolls back into the Democratic campaigns to keep it legal. Okay, there's, there's a quid pro quo here, right? Tail wagging itself there, yeah. Beyond that, black children being aborted are multiples higher than what the actual population is. Abortions are sold to black women. Right. Specifically. Right. Right. Which is evil. And... and so it's pretty consistent with how abortion has been viewed in these other progressive states in that, yeah, we don't require it, but they certainly urge it on some groups of people, but sure. not on 
others. And, and we can see that you, all you have to do is to drive around some of the the lower socioeconomic areas of a town to see yes. where all the Planned Parenthood's locations are. I mean, see, it's, it's, see where the billboards are. Yeah. I mean, yeah. They're, they're not sitting in the middle of, you know, Cherry Creek over. No, no, down, no, uh, no, they aren't. They aren't sitting there in neighborhoods with a. Uh, you know, household incomes of $250,000. That's not where they are at. And no, no, because that's not where their profit is. That's exactly right. Yeah. But I, I guess my question is a little more, the, the people who dress up like handmaids, out, handmaidens outside of the Supreme Court, you know, when they were hearing oral arguments on Dodd and, and uh, you know, the, the women who scream, you know, my body, my choice, that, that sentiment is so counter to the rest of the philosophy that, you know, I should be allowed to make my own decisions, but then they abdicate decision making to the government on basically everything else. Well, so, so is it just a so, marketing ploy or? Well, sort of a marketing ploy, but there's something deeper here. So we talked about this 5,000 years of classical thought and one of the progressive goals. And if anybody has ever read Alexander Solzhenitsyn, You'll recognize this if you have not read Solzhenitsyn. You need to go read Solzhenitsyn. Okay. Okay. Solzhenitsyn goes to considerable depth on this topic. The goal of any of these states is to disrupt and destroy that 5,000 years of classical thought. Okay. That's the goal, number one, right? That's, that's the first goal they have. So anything they can do that would destroy or call into question that 5,000 years of thought is something they will embrace before they gain power. Right. And so disrupting anything with traditional religion, traditional classic thought, traditional values is a goal. Right. Right. So and valuing life would be abortion right certainly that. does that. Yeah. Right. It certainly does that. But yeah, I mean, that's it. And, and so what we've seen, I mean, let me give you an example that I think is pretty stark and not well known. OK. Both Nazi Germany, and the Soviet Union rose to power on the idea of uh, what we would now call gay rights. Uh, some of those prominent Nazis, 1930, 1, 32, 33, were gay. Really? Yes. Soviet Union was probably the first state to really embrace gay rights. I had no idea. In the 1920s. Okay. And once they gained power, they viewed disruptive to traditional society. And once they gained power, they made those things illegal and they executed those people. Right? That, that, that's how it, how it has worked before. Now, would it work that way again? I don't know. But it's worth noting that's how it has worked before. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Those things became I crimes and, and indeed even capital crimes in Soviet Union and Nazi Germany. Huh. Ernst Röhm. I don't know if you ever heard that name. I have. Yeah. 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 He was head of the uh, Nazi SA, uh, the brown shirts. Right. He was gay. He was probably the second most powerful man in Nazi Germany behind Hitler. And uh, Hitler had him killed. And uh, yeah, homosexuality. Well, the second, second most powerful person. Did he have him killed because he was gay or did he have him killed because he was the second most powerful person? He had him killed Germany? because he posed a threat to right. the German army because he wanted to disband the German army, have the brown shirts replace the German army. Oh, okay. That was his real sin there in the eyes of Hitler. Okay. But homosexuality was outlawed in Nazi Germany. It's a convenient excuse. Yeah. Outlawed after they killed Ersrom. And then uh, same thing, Soviet Union, 1927, I believe, published a book 
uh, sexual behavior for the citizen, normal and abnormal. That may not be the exact title, but it was pretty close to that. Okay. And uh, yeah, in that book, they, they outlined basically what was acceptable sexual practices in the Soviet Union, what was not, and what was not when get you landed in a gulag or lined up against the wall. Holy moly. So that's not a story that's told very often. No, it's not told. About that. No, it's not told very often at all. But understand these people in creating the new man want to centrally plan all of everyone's life. Mm-hmm. That's the point to be taken here. Not necessarily the specific example, but the fact that every aspect of your life is to be planned by an expert somewhere for what the best of the whole is according to the expert. Bingo. And that's that's the thing that, that you know, as I, as I read the news, as I look through Twitter, I look through Facebook and, you know, I see some of the things that these folks say, or I watch television and see some of the things that actually come out of their mouths in front of a camera, like they're not afraid to say it. That's the piece that I have to keep in mind is, is, is that, and for me, that it's kind of like when you go to the eye doctor and he says, you know, which, which one's better, one or two, one or two. And, you know, something finally clicks in and you can see clearly knowing that everything has to serve the collective. Yes. In the minds of a progressive, everything serves the collective and the individuals do not matter to that collective as long as the collective gets better. That makes all of their statements sort of fall into place for me. Yes. And that's what we said a few minutes ago. Stalin reputedly said, a single death is a tragedy. A million deaths are a statistic. Right. I don't know that they think that a single death is a tragedy. Well, depends on who it is. <laughs> I suppose. Um, but but no, that's very much it. But th- th- there's a deeper question there. Who defines what's best for the collective? That's really the question. Right. right? It's supposed to be self-evident, though. I mean, is it that kind of a no, theory? They, no, 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 no. Self-evident comes from the Declaration of Independence. They deny the term self-evident entirely. Self, I mean, in just this is a quick little aside. Okay. Okay. The idea that something is self-evident, just the existence of that idea would destroy progressivism. <laughs> Right. You can't have things be self-evident in progressivism. So the experts have to tell you what a good society is. Yes. And who are the experts? Well, they're self-appointed. And and right now we we are very much going down this road with my many of the bureaucrats. And the bureaucrats go, Well, I'm an expert. What makes you an expert? Well, I got a master's degree from Stanford. Well, how does that make you an expert? Right. How does that make you an expert in my life? It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't at all. Yeah. Right. So they set up this artificial standard for what constitutes an expert. They fill those roles with their own people because they're they set the standard. Right. And then they go, well, we have to do what the experts say. And if there's a better example than COVID for that, how disastrous that is, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I, I mean, seriously. It's how, so illustrative of exactly what the problem how much is. Of, how much of what we learned during that two years or so, year and a half of COVID was false. If all not of an, it. It, nearly all of it, if not an error, and some of it were just outright lies. And I know people, you know, people lost their jobs, lost their businesses. Yep. Right. Uh, I know people and who, who were fired for not taking the shot. I know people who their, their restaurants were shut down and they went out of business. And as a result, they lost their homes. And we now know it didn't make a bit of difference to anybody. Well, and and I want to go beyond that because we also both know people who died. Yes. 
because of the shot, not because of COVID, but because of the shot. Yeah. And that's to me, that's that's the most evil, horrible, reprehensible part of this whole thing is is that they knew that this was going to create problems and they didn't care. Well, not only did they not care, they excused everyone from any liability for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they excused That's everyone. proof that they didn't care. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I know people, and I'm sure you do too, who died from COVID. Fewer than died from the vaccine. Yeah. Fewer. Yeah. I, I think I can think, I'm trying to think of, I think I know two people who died from COVID. I, I knew five and, people who died from COVID. They were all 89 or older. Yeah. Right. So, and I know a, a 50 year old and a 52 year old who died from the vaccine. Yeah. And then, of course, we see in the news all the people. Yeah. Young. That's the that's the experts showing their hands I mean, rather than their now showing their asses. We're on a podcast. I could say that. Yeah. yeah well, you know <laughs> how it, ineffective they are. That's right. How effective? How ineffective they are? And, and it just gets the whole thing was in retrospect. And even at the time, I pointed out how bizarre it was. I lived in Littleton, Colorado at the time that happened. Mm-hmm. And in the town I lived in, the hobby shop had to be closed, was required to be closed. The fabric shop was required to be closed, but the music shop was open. <laughs> uh, th- there's a certain precedent. It goes back to the Spanish influenza of a lot of places. They just shut everything down for two weeks. Right. Told everybody, stay home for two weeks. After two weeks, we will know who is sick and who is not, but you won't spread it out of your household. Right. Right. For two weeks. Okay, that's kind of a crude tool, but, you know, it has a logic to it. But we didn't do that. We shut it down for months, but we didn't shut everything down. We always shut down the things. How do you shut down the fabric store, not the music store? Well, I, I, where's the logic here? I, I don't understand. They shut, down the, they shut down the liquor store for a grand total of, I think, nine hours. <laughs> well, it's because there were, there there were, were riots. lines. That's right. <laughs> lines, blocks long, people to get in there and buy liquor exactly. before, before they shut down. But, but yeah, I mean, it, it made no sense. It was completely incoherent. Well, and that was that was the thing that kept hitting me. And, and as you and I have continued to have these conversations, I, I keep thinking back to that and, and the incoherence. I almost wonder if the incoherence was a feature and not a bug. It's always a feature of the ex- experts. Pardon? It's always a feature of the experts. Well, it, it just getting people. It's almost like they were pushing Americans to see just how much bullshit we would accept. <laughs> you know, and, and how much we would we would turn around and do exactly what the man in the TV told us to do and who wasn't stepping into line. I'm sure, they got files on all of us. You know, I mean, that's it, it's almost like it was an experiment to test who would be compliant and who would not mm-hmm. and who would accept the complete nonsense that was coming out of their mouths that made absolutely zero sense, like the music store being open and the fabric store being closed. You know, who would accept that and who would be scratching their heads going, this this doesn't no, it work. it makes no sense. Yeah. It, it makes no sense. And, and the farther we've gotten away from that, the less sense it makes. And the more we found out, we're just flat out lied to. Yeah. By these government experts. Yeah. And that's the mark of a government expert. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it really is. Historically, it really is. Every time you give these bureaucrats that kind of power. Yeah. That they will abuse and misuse it. 
you know, there's, there's been a lot of psychological studies and things done on type of people who seek these positions. Mm-hmm. And they are never the people you want to have in those positions. Nope. <laughs> right. Your it's local just, HOA. Exactly. <laughs> your local HOA. President of your local HOA <laughs> is definitely not somebody that you want to have any power over your life whatsoever. It's completely unpaid. It's completely thankless, but they have total yes. control over how they can run that neighborhood. And you don't totally not somebody that you want in that position. No, exactly. All the way up. No, no, great example. This is exactly true. Yeah. And so, yeah, we don't want to empower experts to define what we get to do and not do. And we certainly don't want to empower them to punish us if we don't do what they want. Right. Because they will abuse that power 100% of the time. If there's nothing else somebody ever learns from history, they should learn that. You know, the whole, well, if you don't stay home, you're going to kill grandma. Yeah. Right. And it goes along with, you know, well, if you don't vote Democrat, you're going to kill grandma. Right. And it just goes on and on and on as though there's a dehumanizing aspect to it that if you think this is a bad idea, you're not human. Right. And that's another mark of all these progressive schools of thought. Well, it's the shaming. Yeah. I mean, the Nazis called it out. What was it? Untermension. Basically, the inferior men. Right. That would question. Right. Nazism. Right. Right. That, that were just genetically inferior. Now, that's that that's pronounced in, in America conservative. Yeah. Well, yeah, or it, it, MAGA Republican. No, that's it. Yeah. Well, which is another interesting aside. Here's my thoughts. I think far less than half of all Democrats are progressives. Okay. I think they're not in control of their party. No, they're not. And most Democrats who are not progressives have far more in common with conservatives than they do with progressives. Well, I would think so. Yeah. But they keep voting for that D on the ballot and hands off to those progressives. They keep, they put a lot of work into one of those primaries so that a progressive will be the D on that ballot. Yeah. Right. So they are overrepresented in elected office. Progressives are certainly far overrepresented in bureaucracies. Yeah. But as long as you can keep convincing people the Republicans are evil, they'll keep voting for that D if it's a progressive. Right. Well, and that person is presenting this vision of this, you know, pure utopia where we all, you know, ride around on unicorns and, you know, fart rainbows or something. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, that's 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 the vision that they're selling that is completely unattainable, is completely idealistic, unrealistic, ideological and carries all of this actual empirical baggage of people dying and being killed and people starving and people being miserable, but they never look far enough into what they're being sold to realize. Sure. I I mean, here's the logic. And uh, we have a common friend who uh, on Facebook recently pointed out, uh, for example, in Colorado, People voted for a tax increase and a tax decrease. (laughs) They voted voted contradictory things all down the ballot. Yeah. Just go back to abortion for a minute, because I think this is really, I don't know if profound is the right word, but important. About 90% of the people in this country opposed third trimester abortions. Right. Regardless of what you think about abortion earlier in the pregnancy, about 90% of Americans find third trimester abortions to be absolutely abhorrent and simply murder. Just just about everybody agrees. If you can't make up your point, make up your mind about what you're going to yeah. do by then. Have the baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Aborting a baby that's eight months along yeah. is, uh, yeah. So under Roe, Roe v. Wade, when that was in force, abortions up until moment of birth were perfectly legal. Right. Roe enables you, enables states to roll that back 
Dobbs does. Uh, Dobbs does. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Dobbs allows states to roll that back. Right. So where they can say whatever it is, whatever political compromise they agree on, 15 weeks, 20 right. weeks, 14 weeks, whatever. Right. It doesn't really matter. The point is almost everybody opposes third trimester abortions. Right. Yeah. To your point. Right. People go, oh, they're going to, you know. They're going to take away all abortions. Exactly. Yeah. And that's not what's going to happen, at least not. In the immediate future. Right. But, you know, that, yeah, that nearly everybody opposes that. <laughs> but that's it's, not the way they vote because they're being sold a bill of goods. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's it's kind of terrifying. I mean, sorry. No, it's okay. Open another beer. I, I, <laughs> I, I should. I should go get another beer. So, yeah. So, so like I was saying, is it's it's kind of terrifying that, that people are not thinking that deeply into, you know, these positions that they hold. They're willing to be swayed by fear. And by, you know, basically the utter complete lies that, that the, the left says in pursuit of getting elected. And, you know, if you oppose third trimester abortions, but you support a woman's right to have an abortion, you know, in cases of rape and incest or, you know, even if it's a case of convenience in the first, you know, third trimester or whatever. That's not the left is not saying the Democrats don't want to or the Republicans don't want to, you know, abolish that. They just want to get rid of the third trimester. They, you know, they're not saying that. And so they're, they just scare them all into voting for the left. Right. Well, yeah. 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 It's just knee jerk. Yeah. Reaction. It's, there's no thoughtfulness to this at all. Politics of fear. Yeah, well, politics of envy, politics of fear. Exactly. Exactly. Well, just all you need to know, these people are evil, so vote for us. Mm -hmm. And basically, that's what, what it works out to. Not a matter of these are really bad ideas. Right. And it's not like Republicans don't have bad ideas. They do. And Some do. I, well, <laughs> yeah. And, and I, you know, I, I point those out when they do. Mm -hmm. right. And uh, it's not like Republicans don't have personal failings and why they do. Right. And, and you point out that's, that's not true. Right. And that's okay. But what we're talking about here is institutionalizing the bingo abolition of truth and reality in favor of creating this new man premised on whatever fiction they think it takes to create the per appropriate environment for this new man to be created. Right. I mean, this is, this is the entire history of all these progressive movements right. is using fiction and violence to create this new man. That's what it's all about. I mean, we, we talked last week about redefining racism to be disparity of outcome. Right. Racism is no longer, according to progressives, defined as bigotry or discrimination or any of those things. Right. Right. It's now disparity of outcome. And 99.99 .99 times out of 100, they're the ones who created that disparity of outcome. 100. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, no. It's, I, the, I was the, trying to be generous. No, the, the major factor in disparity of outcome is lack of education. Yes. And lack of education, if you look at public schools, you look at uh, black students, Hispanic students, you look at Indians, not India Indians, but Native American Indians, you see people underperforming white students across the board. And sometimes it's so dramatic, it's sickening. It is. And uh, as we talked about last time, 5% of Black and Hispanic students, third graders that never read a grade level, 5%. I do not for the life of me believe only 5% of Black and Hispanic students, parents in Denver care if their children can read a grade level. Right. But there's a sense of, well, this is compassionate not to push them. This is compassionate not to require things of them. It's not compassionate because... It's easy to see how you're going to create this disparity of income 10, 15, 20 years down the road. 
if these children don't learn how to read. They need to learn the basics. Exactly. They do not need to go to Drag Queen Story Hour. They need to learn the basics. Exactly. Reading, writing, arithmetic and stop being exposed to all the rest of this crap that that they're doing that takes up all their time when they should be learning how to read, write, and do arithmetic. No, no, exactly. And that's regardless of race. Exactly. Right? And and so if you're looking at these numbers, and they're, they're horrific. Places like Denver and Baltimore and Chicago and Oakland. And, and this is horrific. You're like, you're dooming these children before they start if well, you can't teach them to read. And, and in my mind, the teachers' unions tip their hand when they fight against vouchers and charter schools and, yes. and all the rest of this stuff, if they truly cared about the kids, they then they would care about getting the kids into a learning environment that benefits the child. That's not what they're doing. Well, the ultimate hypocrisy. It is. Teachers unions argue against privatization of education when teachers unions are private. <laughs> teachers unions that. don't want to give up their monopoly on the privatization of education exactly. is the answer. It's not that they're against privatization. They're against anybody doing it other than An them. imaginative lawyer ought to bring an antitrust suit. Well, yeah, I, I you know, one of the, the mysteries of getting older, the older you get, the less you understand the law. Yeah, well, there's that too. <laughs> <laughs> there's that too, but. But yeah, I mean. It's, they're the experts. They should know the best. Exactly. How to, how to teach every single child with these, you know, nationwide policies because they don't care about the individual child. Yeah. And this is worth discussing because progressivism really started to catch on. There was no progressivism in the United States before the Civil War. Right. After the Civil War caught on. And it was really due to the Civil War. People said, we just killed 720,000 people. Is there a better way to do this? A number of people went to Germany, went to Europe, absorbed this philosophy. Okay came back with these ideas. And one of the first places those ideas were implemented was in the education of public school teachers. Right. Before that, there was no idea of going to a college and getting a degree in education. It was just whoever whoever had the prettiest handwriting basically got to teach in the one-room schoolhouse, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you were educated, you could read, write, you know, these things, right? Yeah, you could teach. Right. And if you were a good teacher, you kept your job. If you weren't a good teacher, you did not keep your job. Well, and that a lot of that goes back to to what the the educational model was prior to the Civil War. Yeah. Uh, And and this educational model kind of held on through, I'm going to say, through the 1930s, uh, maybe, in teaching the trivium. The, the grammar right. analysis and or grammar logic and rhetoric. Right. And, and, you know, once, you know, you've, you've studied in those three stages, you know, once you've gotten through the rhetoric stages, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what rhetoric is about is being able to take all this stuff, be able to persuade people, but communicate also it. be able to communicate it, be yes. able to teach it. Yes, and exactly. So they were qualified. Yeah. And, 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 and even then it's gotten so much worse. So my, my father was a teacher. Okay. My father went to college in the 1950s. He got a bachelor's degree in history. He would then get a master's degree in history. And he would get a master's degree in education administration. Okay. But he had degrees in history. He knew his subject matter. Now, the, the way it has become as of late, teachers don't necessarily understand anything about the subject matter. You get a degree in education that simply teaches you how to deliver a curriculum. Right. You don't actually know the subject matter yourself. Right. And so how many teachers out there, high school civics teachers have read the Federalist Papers? Right. Right. Very few. You probably, yeah, <laughs> count on, you know, two hands. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. And, and we should talk here about the history, how we got here, because this is important. What we don't teach in school, what most of these teachers don't even know. Right. 
right? But it doesn't, again, it doesn't matter because they're not, the, the purpose of education to them is not to actually teach the kids things that they need to know. You no, know, it's, I, create, it's a new man. They're trying to create a new man, which is what they're doing. That's why the, the politics and the CRT and the 1619 Project <sighs> and all of these things, I mean, their their purpose is not to teach history. It is to mold current society. That's right. To, te- to create 100%. the new man. That, that is exactly what it's about. Right. Uh, it's about what much of college education is about now. Which is really unfortunate because college would be the one place where we should be able to push back on this, except that the progressives took over universities well, a century ago. So well, Exactly. I, I mean, I've told this story many times. It was in college. I took American history, a freshman in college. Mm. I was supposed to take a year of American history. I took the first semester. I had a teacher who was very upfront at the first day that he was a devout communist. And uh, it was American history is supposed to be from the founding through the Civil War. And uh, pretty much all I learned about first semester was what a great guy Ho Chi Minh was. And I had to read <laughs> these were I had to read Ho Chi Minh speeches. This American history class because he's a and, he, uh, founding through the Civil he's War. A, he's class, a tenured yeah. professor. He can do whatever he wants. Holy moly. And so I, a genuine assignment was I had to read a speech by Ho Chi Minh and read a speech by Thomas Jefferson and compare and contrast. With the correct answer being Thomas Jefferson was a proto-communist. Sure. Dead serious. That, that was an assignment. That was you know, more than 40 years ago. Right. And so, you know, and the funny part was for the second semester I had, Civil War through what was then 1980, thought, well, I don't want that guy again. Right. And so I intentionally went and signed up for a different professor. <laughs> I show up first day of class, find out this professor I signed up with and this guy who was the communist had decided to flip classes. Hey, that guy. For a whole nother semester, oh, no. I knew for a whole year learning about <laughs> Ho Chi Minh. I knew more about Ho Chi Minh than you know any other eighteen-year-old in the entire country. Oh, <laughs> I spent so a whole sorry. year learning about Ho Chi Minh, not American history. And that was forty years ago. Yeah, right. And so, yeah, but at least I was well enough grounded. I, I knew what it was. I took it for what it was. And that's an advantage that not most of our young people have. No, you know, I was. You know, I was raised a Republican. I kind of unpacked all of my all of my beliefs when I was in college, the University of Colorado at Boulder, 30 square miles surrounded by reality. I unpacked what what it meant to me at that point to, to be a conservative and, and then, you know, decided, yes, this is actually what I want to be because all my friends were liberals. So I, you know, I, I didn't know how how I turned out so different. But, you know, I, I knew I was I, I believed the right way. But I went through these history classes and literature classes and all this rest of the stuff, but I did not have that background. I did not understand how much they were trying to to brainwash us, really. And that was 35 years ago. Yeah. And we're talking late 80s. I, I campaigned for George H.W. Bush yeah. with the college Republicans. Well, as a college freshman, I voted for Ronald Reagan. Okay. <laughs> so, so now that everybody knows how old we are. <laughs> um you know, I didn't have I didn't have that that benefit. So I'm glad that you saw that as you were going through it. Oh, yeah. And you I, I mean, like I said, it. my father was a teacher. And yeah. He had degrees in history. And we spent every summer, all summer, sometimes long six weeks traveling around the country, camping, going to all the historical sites and battlefields and museums wow. and all that stuff. And, you know, I, it was. Yeah, it was I, I was your blood. Yeah, well, it was part of my blood. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah, I grew up reading National Review and. Weymouth Buckley and mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. And I had good teachers in high school. Not all of them, but some of them. I had my government teacher was, he was a lawyer. 
And he knew his stuff. Wow. He was a teacher and a lawyer. Mine was the football coach. Oh, there you go. No. I mean, he was the first, first guy who ever said, don't talk to the cops. <laughs> <laughs> he was, yeah, but he knew, he knew the constitution. He knew all this stuff. He knew what was what. <laughs> That's right. He's like, yeah, don't talk to the cops. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, I, I had an ancient history teacher who had been World War II, an OSS guy. Wow. And he, he, Gave lectures from his own slides he had taken. You know, things like, you know, British radar on top of the pyramid and things like that. So okay, that's yeah. impressive. No, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I, I had good teachers. And so having to learn, spend a year learning about Ho Chi Minh did not sway my opinions about the world. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> that is good to know. So, yeah. Let's, let's try to summarize what we've been talking about here for the past hour. And I just, I just want to make sure that no, we're crystal clear first on what the new man is and then second, why the new man is. Yeah, I mean, the whole idea here, the new man is, yeah, this is a belief that man is a product of his environment and conditions. If you use government force and the experts to direct how that government force should be used, you change the conditions and the environment and you create a new man without any of the faults Humanity has experienced since day one. Okay. I mean, really, that's, that's really what it boils down to. And so, yeah, you get rid of avarice and greed and lust and desire for power and sure. all of that. That has just been proven over and over again not to be true. Right. Right. And not only has it been proven not to be true, it's been proven people who try to do this create disaster. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 the opposite of true. It's it's absolutely one hundred percent false. Yes, it is, and it, that is demonstrably so. It's empirically so. We can look at the experiences in in Stalin's USSR. We can look at it Mao. We can look at Pol Pot killing fields. We can you know look at Venezuela where people are eating their cats. You know, yeah, their, their pet cats. You know, I mean, that, those kind of you know, you and I both know people from Cuba. You know, oh yeah, who emigrated here. No, uh, I, you know, it, it just it's it's a. And I'm going to use this broadly and, and generously. It's an experiment that never works. You know, yeah. if you put ammonia it's, with Clorox enough times and make yourself pass out, eventually you stop putting ammonia with Clorox. You know, I mean, you just you cannot mix those two things. The new man does not mix with human society. It's not possible. It's not well, you're giving these experts, these bureaucrats and these government officials so much power yeah. over people's lives, assuming they have any less greed, avarice, lust than anyone else does. And it's, it's just a disaster. I mean, I, I have known people who have come from all over the world with horrific stories. Mm -hmm. I, I knew a fellow who snuck into the United, snuck out of the Soviet Union and into the United States. Wow. He was a very, he, he was, he is a very bright fellow. He figured out how to, how to sneak out of the Soviet Union. He got That's himself impressive. to New York and said, asylum. Yeah. But he had been declared by the Soviet Union a non-citizen. And his father had been sent to gulags. And he could not legally work, have a place to live, or anything else like that in the Soviet Union. And anybody who harbored him basically became an enemy of the state. Right. right. I, I know a lady. She was 12 years old when Saigon fell. And her father was an officer in the South Vietnamese Army. And they came and rounded up her mother and father. She never saw them again. They were gone. So sad. Yes. She never saw them again. So she spent a couple of years at starting at age 12, literally living in the streets of Saigon. And eventually she snuck out of the country at a very young age and got to the United States. I knew someone who came from the Soviet Union and wanted to get out and finally got permission to get out. 
She required a single bureaucrat to basically rubber stamp her permission. And he required her to sleep with him to, you know, it was just the kind of that's petty corruption. Exactly. The kind of petty abuse of other humans that these systems create. Right. Right. I mean, I go on and on and on with these these kinds of stories from people. And I know you have probably the same kind of stories from people you have known in these countries. It's degrading as a human being to live under a progressive model. It's not it's not human. I mean, no, it's, it's it's the idea that you don't count. All as you said before, it's the collective that counts. Only the collective. And by destroying nearly each and every human in that collective, they destroy the collective. Right. Right. Collectives only work if things are voluntary. If people are free to choose for themselves. If people are free to help others of their own volition. Right. It's a noble thing to reach in your wallet and help somebody out. Absolutely. It is not a noble thing. To take somebody else's money by force and redistribute it to a bureaucrat. Yeah, that's not how this worked. That's just not how this works. It's, it's, I don't know. I'm a little overwhelmed. I'm verklempt. I'm a little verklempt. Yeah. I, I, I just, I just, I want this one piece to be really clear that that's their objective. It is why they require government power because there is absolutely nothing else here that they say they want to do that requires government power. Everything else they want to do, they could do voluntarily. They could come together, do as a collective. Could, you know, exactly. Pool their money, live in come a up with better rules. Yeah. You know, if any of these billionaires, so-called progressives want to help people out, they are free to distribute their wealth however they but wish. That's not what they want to do because that's not their objective. I think their objective always is power. Yes, always. exactly. Always. And that power is to create the new man. That's ultimately the, the, exactly. the goal. And they, I think... And then I want to wrap this up, but I, I think that they feel like if they're the ones who, who are creating the new man, then they are the ones who are in charge of the new man. So, oh, absolutely. Right? Uh, absolutely. They don't, <laughs> they don't think they're going to be a plebe in this system. No. They, they are pretty sure that they're not just going to be another one of the new men. You know, well, that's not how this works. Exactly. And that's right. just replete through all, all these systems. Right. Right. All these uh, progressive systems. Right. Everybody thinks they're going to be the guy in charge. <laughs> and, uh, they're not going to be the ones being molded into being the new man. Exactly. And the last thing they want is somebody like me in charge <laughs> of doing that. So, yeah, that, that's it, right? It's it's driven to a large degree. It's just driven by ego. Yeah. I mean, it really is. It's, it's like, I'm I know. You should listen to me. Yes, I'm, I know how you should live your life. And listen to me. And if you don't listen to me, I'm going to use force to make you listen to me. Poster child number one is Fauci. Well, I mean, poster child number one, you know, that four foot tall little squirt of a man who thinks that he can he can dictate basically how the whole world is going to live their lives. And I mean, he just he just changed. I, he's the one who made me convinced that this was all an experiment to see how far you could push people. Because well, first masking wasn't important. And then then there was masking. Yeah, then there yeah. was double masking. Then there was triple masking. Now you need to get the vaccine. Well, the well vaccine he went to the baseball game and didn't wear his mask. Say that one more time. Well, well, Fauci went to the baseball game and did not wear his mask. Exactly. That's when I started to realize that the charges of hypocrisy do not touch them. And the reason it doesn't touch them, I think, is because they're the experts. Their proclamations only apply to you. Yes. Their proclamations do not apply to themselves. No. No. By 1922, virtually every member of the Soviet Politburo was being chauffeured to the Politburo meetings in a Rolls Royce. <laughs> I mean, I understand so that. So much for the proletariat. <laughs> exactly. So much for the proletariat, right? <laughs> Stalin was in love with Packard's. Stalin would really only 
be driven around in a Packard. Oh my God. Yeah, I don't know why you liked it better than Cadillacs or Rolls Royce or I, whatever. But he, yeah, Stalin he, was in love with Packards. Had a thing for upside down bathtub. Well, I don't know. But, but yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, Stalin <laughs> had these dockers all over and if houses. If I walked and, to the meetings, I could maybe respect that. If they had any sort of integrity. So this no. is why, you know, we look at we look at uh, the 60s and the hippies who lived in the 60s and lived on communes and free love and all that kind of stuff. That was their choice. That was their choice. And they had some integrity to that vision. Yes. They were not trying to force everybody to get in, into that. But the people who were there, they they lived according to that shared vision that they had. Fine. Yeah. That's fine. Not the way I want to choose to live my life, but that's fine. Yes. But that's not what today's progressive is about. No. And and I think that's really important that the liberals of yesteryear, the liberals of the, of Woodstock, you know, they they are not the same people that we see. Oh, oh no. Not not even <laughs> by age. I mean they're very no. very very different. No, but that let's review quickly the history. Okay. Let's go back Woodrow Wilson his Administration was uh, at the same time the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia. Okay, Wilson was a lot less popular than current progressives like to make out. <laughs> and he was replaced by a Republican Harding, yeah, who was succeeded by a Republican Coolidge, who was succeeded by a Republican Hoover. Right, thirty-two, you get elected FDR, Franklin right. Roosevelt. Franklin Roosevelt had an absolute bromance going with Benito Mussolini. They were complimenting each other. They were writing letters to each other. FDR is saying how much he wants the New Deal pattern on Italian fascism. Mm. Okay, you had the New Dealers, including cabinet members, writing around. This is not hyperbole, exaggeration. With Mussolini's book, The Doctrine of Fascism, which Mussolini didn't actually write. Somebody else wrote it, Mussolini, to credit because, you know, it's <laughs> kind of how fascists roll. But. Yeah, I mean, the Ring Ruff Mussolini's book under their, literally under their arm. Right. Around in their government agencies, using that as a model of how to implement the New Deal is Mussolini's fascism. This is the model they were using. And, and so the Nazi party in Germany is complimenting FDR on the New Deal, saying it looks remarkably like national socialism. Because it is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yes. Because progressivism, national socialism, fascism, right. communism. They all spring from the same. They're all just different strategies to do the same thing. And just as a side note, isn't that about the time that the KKK came into being? No, no. KKK came in long before, long 70 before years that. before. Okay, but, but it is interesting. Yeah. On a total little aside, FDR, Franklin Roosevelt, is the only president that appointed a known Klansman to the Supreme Court when he appointed Hugo Black. That's true. Right? So, <laughs> I mean, that is you true. know, it's like, and so you have this at the same time you have, we know now. No, the book, if anybody has never read the Renona Cables, we know now there, there were probably 500 Soviet agents in the Roosevelt administration. Okay. And so you have this mix of fascist and communist and, and the New Dealers, and they're all aiming for the same goal. And people go, well, they hated each other. No. No, they, they didn't, right? I mean, no, the total little aside, Lenin and Mussolini were exiled together at one point in Switzerland and they knew each other. And Lenin thought Mussolini was brilliant. I mean, we look back at Mussolini as this cartoon-like character. Right. But understand, Lenin thought Mussolini was brilliant. 
And so that's terrifying. Yeah, these people were not quite as, at odds like we. No, they were painted like, that way in large part because of World War II. The Russians actually chose a side against. It. Because that's, that's that's right, and because the Bolsheviks thought everybody wasn't a Bolshevik was right wing, <laughs> right? And so if you see somebody saying fascism or Nazism is right wing, uh, that's not really a test if fascism or Nazism is right wing. It's more a test of person saying that as a Bolshevik. Yeah. Right. So, but 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 the point is, right? You, you have this. In the, the FDR and the Roosevelt administration, right. this this embracing of these same ideas springing from the same German philosophy. And what we have today, sadly, just as with the 1619 Project, right? We have this fictional history because when Mussolini invaded Ethiopia, FDR and the other New, New Dealers started to distance themselves for Mussolini. And right. of course, by 1940, they're, you know, we were war with Mussolini. But up until then, they were saying, we need to emulate Mussolini. There's, there's we need there. to emulate Italian fascism. This is the path of progress. Right. Right. And so, yeah. And then you have, yeah, the Soviet agents. And then we know people like Dexter White and Alger Hiss, et cetera, prominent people in the FDR administration are Soviet agents right. who are working to make the United States government be like, which is how we got the committee for un-American activities well, in the early fifties. Well, well and there's a, quite the story to that. Well, but, yeah, we're yeah, not going to go into that no, one today. But, <laughs> but you know, the whole idea here, right? That FDR fully embraced these ideas, sure. and we neglect to teach that. Right. So there's that old saying everybody's heard, I'm sure. Right? If you don't know history, you're doomed to repeat it. Right? right? Yeah. And we don't teach this at all because they find it embarrassing. I, I mean, honestly. And they want to hold FDR up as this progressive icon. Right. And we need a new New Deal and all these things and AOC. We need a Green New Deal. And, and they don't look at what this was. Right. In honesty Actual of what it was, right? Of, yeah. And you actually don't look at Morgenthau, who was Secretary of the Treasury in 1939, testifying under oath that the New Deal did nothing to improve the situation. They just spent unthinkable and unprecedented amounts of money to accomplish nothing. Well, I mean, that's what they probably would, accomplished this much. If, they're, if it worked back then any way like it does now, they accomplished making a whole bunch of their friends way richer. Yes, they made a whole bunch of their friends way richer. Yeah, so you know that transfer of wealth thing, <laughs> yes. I think that's sort of a constant in the, the progressive fascist you know, way of thinking. So as far as as how how liberals have evolved. So, you know, we had we had FDR. He was sort of the peak of it, if I'm understanding you correctly. And then then we had. Well, I'll tell you, people, what, what happened here? Americans came face to face with this ideology. Right. In World War Two, fascism and Nazism. And we pretty quickly figured out communism was no different mm -hmm. than fascism mm -hmm. and Nazism. So when the war ended, we were not very open continuing these ideas. We rolled back World War II and then so much of the New Deal. We just got rid of it. Right. Communism, very unacceptable. And then, but the real kicker was this. You had this very devout group of people in the United States of communists who had been around often for, for years. And uh, Khrushchev, 1956, gave a speech. Okay. It was supposed to be a secret speech to the Politburo. And he denounced Stalin and all of Stalin's crimes in great detail. And he denounced Stalin as a personality cult. And that speech was supposed to be secret. Somebody recorded it. Some people think that may have been the Mossad, Israeli <laughs> intelligence. And it was released to the world. And the net effect of that in 1956 were all these old school reds in the United States pretty much gave it up. Yeah. 
because basically what Khrushchev said is Stalin is Hitler. Game I mean, up. essentially, right? Yeah. And somebody wants to read, oh, just a quick aside, a really good book, The Forsaken, An American Tragedy in Stalin's Russia, about those Americans who really believe this stuff. Sure. Believed the, the Soviets in the workers' paradise and believed in the new man. And they, in every generation, there have been people who believe this stuff. Yes. The question is whether or not they're in control. Yeah, well, these people actually, what the book details are the people who actually went to Russia renounced their American citizenship okay. to do this. And they all ended up in the gulags or worse. But, but it's really illustrative of, yeah, what you said, people believe this stuff. Yeah. It's like, wait a minute, stop and think. Just stop and think about it, right? So thing is, to make this quickly, 1959, Berkeley, you had the new left that was created in the wake of the disaster of the Khrushchev speech. And the new left in 1959 thought, really, how are we going to sell communism in America? How are we going to sell these progressive ideas in America? And they realized they couldn't do it via the Soviet Union. Right. They couldn't do it through class struggle. They couldn't do it by economic means because everyone in America, they want to be equal. We want to be rich. They had to change the They, change the they changed it. What we came up with is very much, starting in the 1960s, what we have today in terms of modern progressivism. We have it based on race and gender. And these sorts of things, not on class. Identity politics. Identity politics, tribalism started in Berkeley in 59. And here we are today. Yeah. So. Well, next time, let's let's explore that a little bit further and, and you know, talk about the politics of envy. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd really like to get into that because that's in, in so many ways. That's how I see how they prosecute their case now. Oh yeah. And why it's effective, how to fight back against it. You know, let's 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 take some idea, take some some time to to sort of unpack that idea. Yeah. So, Anger and envy are powerful emotions that cause people to stop thinking. Yeah. Right. That's really it. Does it cause people to stop yeah. thinking? But but, but yeah, they, they cause people to stop thinking. Right. Yeah. Well, we can talk about it next time. Keith, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. We will be back next week with another episode of Cowgirls and Indians. And I hope that you will join us. Oh, yeah. Yeah.